Well, as many of you probably know by now, you've listened to me for several years now. I've been in, in management and, and leadership type positions for probably close to 20 years now. And that's really remarkable considering I'm only 35 years old, right? But in those 20 or so years, those couple of decades, what I've learned is that, that managing like people, processes, procedures, expectations of stakeholders and managers and bosses and, and even the finances, sometimes all those latter things is much easier than managing the people aspect of leadership. I've always argued that, that people management is probably the hardest part of all of, of any type of leadership or management position. When I was in the restaurant business, sometimes I would argue that, you know, it would be easier if these employees weren't here or if these customers weren't here. And if, you ever, if you've been out recently, you probably kind of see that's kind of how things are nowadays. So we know that doesn't work out very well. When I was in human resources, a lot of times all the other stuff, the, the, you know, taking care of, of compensation and benefits and payroll and all those other things were really easy to do and, and somewhat enjoyable until those humans got in the way, right? Those humans were kind of an issue. So obviously I'm, I'm mostly joking about that, you know, but I think hopefully and more than likely most of you can kind of understand the, the evaluation there. In our current series, uh, like, like we've talked about, we're, we're in the book of Proverbs, and um, we're shifting now to uh, topical uh, areas in the book of Proverbs. And uh, this morning, if you're going to follow along in your Bibles, you can. It's going to be a little difficult. I'm going to keep Grace real busy in the back today. I'm going to go all over the book today. Um, you could do that. I'll primarily be in that middle section. More than likely, it's going to be easier to follow along on the screen. Um, but you can follow along if you can and just exercise those finger muscles a little bit. What I want to do before we jump into the Proverbs, however, I want to set this up by looking at a very well-known uh, passage from Jesus. And Jesus was asked a question in Matthew 22. He was asked a question by a Pharisee, and more specifically, an expert of the law. And he asked Jesus this question, Teacher, what is the great commandment in the law? And here we see the response. And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend on all the law and the prophets. So we see from Jesus here immediately that, that this passage says, look, there's two primary things that cover everything. Love your God, love your neighbor. So I'm going to start with this passage because I think it's foundational not only to, the, to the, the outline today, but it's foundational to help us to see how we are to relate to others and how we're going to relate to God in this topic today. And I'm going to call it foolproof relationships. That's what we're calling our sermon today. So to... to kind of bring our attention back a few weeks ago when Pastor Pat opened this sermon series, he, 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 he conceded, and I agree, that full proof is probably not the best rep- representation of this sermon series. We can't full proof these things. More than likely, it's a little bit optimistic and probably better suited as, you know what, full reduction. But that doesn't sound good, doesn't it? Full proof sounds much better. It doesn't have a good ring. So we're going to stick with that. Just note that it is a little optimistic, and we understand that. And as and Pastor Pat also pointed out last week, that we're going to be approaching, again, this series, the rest of our few weeks together, topical and topically. And the reason we're doing that is because if you've read the book of Proverbs, which I'm sure many of you have, 
you start reading through it, and you can't necessarily take it chapter by chapter. There's a lot of just various verses or sets of verses that kind of go together. Then it jumps to a different topic, and then maybe it'll come back to that topic three or four chapters later. So it bounces around a lot, and there's a lot of repetition. So obviously, we're going we're gonna to take these things topically, look at specific things that we felt as we put our sermon series together this year that are important for us as we kind of go through this cycle of life. So, you know, you probably saw that. So we're going to jump around a lot, particularly today. We're going to jump around the Proverbs a ton. And and, and last thing I want to touch on before we dive in is I want to just put this out there now as a disclaimer. I'm not an expert. I'm not an expert and I, I don't claim to be an expert, and I won't claim to be an expert. So what I want to do this morning and the next couple of weeks, and what I'm going to encourage you all to do as well is let's look at the Scriptures. What do the Scriptures have to say about these topics? So based off of our introductory passage from Matthew, I want to kind of give you our, our main idea from the start, and that's going to be this. Foolproofing our relationships, my relationships, begins with loving God and loving others. Foolproofing my relationships begins with loving God and loving others. So after spending a, a time on this topic this week and a couple times last week as well, um, I'm convinced that how we relate and relationships in general are predicated by how we relate to others. And that and how we relate to others is predicated in how we relate to the Father. And that's kind of where we're going to spend our time this morning. We're going to basically cover two topics, how we relate to the Lord and how we relate to others. So first, let's talk about how to relate to the Lord. Maybe better stated is, what should our relationship be with the Lord? Maybe that's a better way of stating that. So the first thing I'd argue is I think we ought to come back to what we looked at several times already in this series, and we've kind of dubbed it as the the, the theme verse of this entire book, and that's chapter 1, verse 7. Chapter 1, verse 7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. So that's kind of the premise of the entire book of Proverbs, and I think it's important for us to kind of touch on that a little bit. So the first thing we see, and the first thing in your outline is this, we ought to fear the Lord. We ought to fear the Lord. So here's something I would say, and I'm not going to spend a ton of time on this because Pat covered this in great detail in the first week of our series. And if you don't remember that, let me remind you of how we defined fear and how we defined fearing the Lord at that time. It's simple as this. The continual awareness that our loving Heavenly Father is watching and evaluating everything we think, say, and do. I'll say it again in case you're writing it down. The continual awareness that our loving Heavenly Father is watching and evaluating everything we think, say, and do. If you want to simplify that a little bit in a short sentence, it's knowing and remembering that God is God and I'm not. That's probably the best and easiest way to summarize. God is God and I am not. I also want to take a look, obviously, of what the Proverbs say about this. In Proverbs 19.23, we read these words. The fear of the Lord leads to life, and whoever has it rests satisfied, and he will not be visited by harm. So this is a clear reminder that God is in control of all things. Trusting him, fearing him, those things allow us as believers to have peace. Even in those times, and in, in having that rest in him, even in those times that, uh, that are difficult. 
because we can trust that he's in charge in all circumstances. Back in 2013, our home was flooded. And at the same time that was going on, we were in the final weeks of, of Gabrielle's birth, and there were some, some issues with the pregnancy. I was also in the middle of a, uh, of a job transition, and that was also paused by this really bad investigation that was going on in my department that I was managing. It was a fun, fun time. So there was a lot going on, and there was a ton happening, and there was so much anxiety and stress that was going on. And, and somehow we got through that, and the somehow was obvious. We had full control and full trust, I mean, that God was in full control. That was the only way we got through that. Otherwise, we would have been a mess, but that was the only way we got through that, that period of our life. And it's really only through a healthy fear in God that we could do that. And that was the only way we could. Next thing we see here, and it's very closely related, is that we need to seek the Lord. We need to seek the Lord. Chapter 18, verse 10 says this, The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous man runs into it and is safe. Now, this picture of a strong tower, and when we read this in the, in the scriptures, it, it talks about and it illustrates like a fortress. It's a place of safety and it's a place of refuge. So it's, again, we're, we're to be completely and wholly dependent on the Father that gives us life, just as much as a young child is with his or her mother and father. That's how much we need to be dependent on the Lord. Another example is when I was recovering from my car accident in 2004, there were some basic functions that most, most adults and most functioning children are able to do that I wasn't able to do on my own. And I had to humble myself like I was a child once again because there were some things I just couldn't do on my own, and I needed my parents to help me with those things. Just think about that from a, from a pride level, just completely diminished as a 20-something-year-old needing help with some basic functions that I just couldn't do on my own. And so being humbled like that really does remind us of our vulnerability and our need to be vulnerable and dependent on the Father who gives us life. Proverbs 11.2 says that we actually gain wisdom in humility. Finally, we see, or next thing we see here is that we ought to listen to the Lord. We listen, obviously, now we listen through his word, but we also can listen through others, and we'll see that here shortly as well. Proverbs 21.30 is really great. It sums this up so nicely. It says, no wisdom, no understanding, no counsel can avail against the Lord. Now, this isn't saying that we can't gain counsel from others. We'll see that very shortly, and we'll see that all throughout the Proverbs, that it, they do recommend that. But what this means is that no wise man, no individual, no person, no government, no leader, nobody can give you the right counsel that's above the counsel that God can give us. That's what that, that chapter or that verse is telling us. In other words, we should always, always, always seek the counsel of God first. Always kind of seek the counsel of God first. We see that here in, in, in chapter 16, verse 20. Whoever gives thought to the word will discover good. And blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. What a great promise there. Blessed is he who trusts in the Lord. Again, this reminds us that when and that we must seek God's counsel and we do that through his word. Next thing here is we need to follow the Lord. We need to follow the Lord. 
very clear understanding of this really draws us right back to what we saw last week. If you were here last week or you viewed online last week, you, you can probably recall these, these two verses, chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. Very well-known verses. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will straight path, make straight your paths. What I have learned over my life is when we fail to trust in the Lord— and we fail and we tend to lean on our own understanding, things don't go very well. And actually, didn't we see that just last week? That was one of the most unwise things that we can do, is to lean on ourselves versus leaning on the Lord. And another thing we learn later in, in this book in chapter 20 is that the Lord who paves the way, it is he who does that. He's the one who paves the way. And, and when we try to take over that path that he's given us, it, it doesn't turn out that way. And, 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 and in that, that particular uh, proverb, he's like, who are you? Who are you to try to take over this path that God has set before you? And we see that again in chapter 16, where Solomon says that the Lord is the one who establishes our steps. If, if, we ha- if God makes a plan for us and we end up going left or right instead of taking that path, guess what? We're still going to end up in that path. We're still going to end up exactly where God wants us to be. Think about uh, the example of, of Jonah. Jonah ran far, far away, but he was ripped right back, wasn't he? We might not always like where the Lord's leading us. Again, that Jonah example. We may not like it, and we may not even know where he's leading us. And we, but we have that responsibility, and dare I say the word obligation, to follow where the Lord is leading us to go. 2017, I recognized my call to ministry and it was during that time, and after that time, I had three different jobs and three different companies that I was kind of bouncing around in, and I didn't like the unstability that that gave me because I was used to being in a single place for a period of time. I didn't know where, what was going on during that time, but I had to trust God in that process. And as I look back, I can see, and I recognize, and I acknowledge that he was still at work, even though those times were not great. And again, I know we can, we can probably talk more about this. There's like 10 other points we can probably make, but I think that's a good overview of what we need to do to follow the Lord uh, and, and how we relate to the Lord as we talk about this topic. So the other half of what Jesus talked about was what? Others. So now we want to talk a little bit about that. So let's spend some time talking about how we relate to others. How we do that and I'm going to actually spend most of the time here in chapter 18. It's filled with a ton of wisdom on this topic of how we can relate to others. And, and maybe you came in expecting that I was going to talk about how we relate to our spouses, maybe how we relate to our children and other, you know, coworkers and neighbors, etc. But I think these four points I will talk about is, is pretty universal in a way where we can use these things in all relationships, in all of those relationships that we just listed, and even in those short encounters we might have with strangers or people uh, in, in general. So the first thing here is that we need to be humble. Be humble. And I think this is very difficult for a lot of people, particularly in today's age. Uh, one of the things I did in my prior career is I used to train supervisors and you know first-time managers and, and young managers, and one of the things I spoke about with every single one of those groups that I used to tell them, one of, in my personal opinion, one of the strongest traits a leader can have is humility. One of the strongest traits, in my opinion, is humility for a leader. 
that a leader who can admit they're wrong or a, a leader who can, who can admit that they don't understand fully something and they can seek that help and they can seek assistance and understanding. Solomon put it this way in chapter 18 and verse 12. Before destruction, a man's heart is haughty, but humility comes before honor. And I think if we really think about this idea of humility, the best example we can pull from the scriptures is Jesus himself. In Philippians chapter 2, Paul talks about this idea, and we start, if we look at verse 3 and following, uh, Philippians 2 verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you not only to his own interest, but also the interests of others. Have this in mind among yourselves, which is in yours, Christ Jesus. Who, speaking of Jesus, though he was not in the, he was in the form of God, did not count equally with God a thing to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in a likeness of men, and being found in human form, humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross." You, you might understand and know this already, uh, but a death on the cross was the worst kind of death that was reserved for the worst of the worst, for the scum. And that's why Paul makes a, an emphasis, point of death, not just death, but death on a cross. So Paul emphasizes the kind of death that Jesus suffered for us. Well-known pastor Rick Warren said, humility is not about thinking of your, your, less of yourself, breaking yourself down, but it's thinking of yourself less. It's not about thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. And you see in our relationships, when we put others before ourselves, that can strengthen that relationship. That strengthens that relationship. You'll see momentarily that that humility does actually kind of help us to see and builds right into these next three points. And in these in humility, it influences these other areas of our lives. So the next thing we want to talk about here is is We ought to listen to others. So we saw a few minutes ago that we listen to God. Here we see that we should also be listening to others. And again, that's all throughout the Proverbs. Let's take a look at verse 13 of chapter 18. If one gives an answer before he hears, it is folly and shame. One of the things that irritates me so much, particularly when I was in the business world, was you have a, a group of 20 or so managers, and there's a topic being discussed, and, and they call on person A. Person A starts to speak, and person B speaks over that person, and person C speaks over A and B, and everybody's just talking over each other. You ever been in a situation like that? To me, it's, it's one of those things, and this is a personal thing for me. I'm, I'm, I'm sure some of you can in, in relate. But to me, that's like, I don't care about what you're saying. What I have to say is more important. In other words, what I do and who I am is more important than what you are. And that to me is exactly what we see in this proverb. How about this example? You're speaking to somebody and they have, there's no acknowledgement. You know, your employee, your child, your spouse, your neighbor, you say something, you ask for something, there's no response. You know, and my my immediate response, did you hear me? (laughs) And that doesn't always come off as, as very kind. Now does it? In culinary school and in the kitchens, the chef says something, our response is, yes, chef. Right? Or sometimes if it's real quick and passing, heard. Right? There has to be a response so that way there's an understanding between the two people. And, and in my opinion, there's, 
there's a sense of respect and honor there as well. So what about the life of the follower of Jesus in this regard? The proverb we just read, I think what um, it, it, it enforces this idea of active listening. And one of the things in active listening is you have to allow the other person to finish their thought and to finish what they have to say before you jump in with your own opinion. And this might mean for you and for me is we listen to other brothers and sisters and that we listen to people in authority, that we listen to our spouses, that even sometimes we can learn from our kids. Right? And, 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 and as we know, and of course, kids, we've got to listen to our parents. We know that. I still have to listen to my parents. Okay? Listening requires action. Listening requires action. That's part of the idea of listening. And, 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 and again, we can look at this, and we can closely take a look at the next section, which is learning from others. Or, yes, learning from others. So in the opening verses of chapter 18, we see kind of a warning against this idea of isolating in isolation. Verse 1 says this, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Right? I mean, that probably speaks volumes to many of us in, in, in most of our uh, walks of life. This, um, this idea of isolation, according to these verses, what Solomon is talking about is, is you know, he kind of brings up these, these issues here. Right? The person in isolation, and they seek their own desires. Okay? Ignoring God and ignoring others. Has poor judgment. Does not take the time to understand It's my opinion, it's what I want, it's what I desire, and I'm not going to seek to understand. And it's only interested in their own opinion. Doesn't that sound like our world today? Doesn't it sound like those who are engulfed in in, in their own specific, closed-minded, whether it be political view or social justice view, whatever that might be, that's what we see is they're only interested in what they have to say. And they won't give ear to what another individual says. And it's funny because people accuse Christians of being closed-minded, don't they? We're accused consistently of being closed-minded. And what this verse is actually saying is we need to be open-minded and we need to be listening and learning from others. If anything else, it allows us to understand their viewpoint better. And it may turn us to go back and do some more research to understand better what we believe. Hearing and seeking others' opinions may even further solidify the point you're trying to make. Consider what the Proverbs say in in verse 15 of chapter 18. An intelligent heart acquires knowledge. In the ear of the wise, seek knowledge. We should always be looking to grow and learn and understand. We should always be doing that in any walk of our life. There's a book that I read for school by J.P. Moreland, and it's a book called Love Your God With All Your Mind. And it's based off of Romans 12, chapters, uh, verses 1 and 2, and the verse that we read a few minutes ago from Matthew, verses 20, uh, 37 through 39. And in this book, on the back page there, he actually says this. He's like, look, this is what we're writing this book for. He says it's to use the Christian to use their mind, not only to win others for Christ, but also experience personal spiritual growth. See, when we seek 
to learn and we seek to understand, not only can we hopefully bring people to understand and know Jesus, but it also helps our own spiritual growth at the same time. And this can be done with personal study. But if you don't remember, we, we, we covered pretty significantly back in Hebrews chapter 10, this idea of being together and gathering together. And, and, I, and I think it's important that we see that. And also, if you think about Genesis chapter 2, one of my favorite verses in Genesis is chapter 2, verse 18, where God says it's not good that the man should be alone. And what was the result of that? Eve. Eve was the result of God and the, the Trinity saying, look, it is not good for man to be alone. So we see it, that God puts an emphasis on this idea that we need to be together and learn together and grow together. And that helps us to not only learn, but it also helps us possibly to have the opportunity to teach others and to help others grow in healthy community. I think it's also essential that we have the right people around us. You know, this isn't telling us that we should just surround ourselves with a bunch of fools. It's telling us that we need to surround ourselves with a a group of people who are going to uplift us and help us to grow. And we see that in chapter 18, verse 24. A man of many companions may come to ruin, but there is a friend who sticks closer than a brother. And I'm sure, as I can tell you from my point of view, growing up, my circle of friends has decreased, not increased. My, circ- my, my followers on Facebook and Instagram have increased, however. No. My, my circle of real true friends has decreased. And that's because I need the people around me, those few men and, and, and families around me. Those are the guys I'm going to depend on. Those are the guys that I know are going to have my back no matter what. Right? Those are the people. This is warning against those bad influences that we have a tendency of bringing into our lives and keeping them there. When I was in high school, that's when I became a Christian. It was the summer before I went into my senior year of high school. And um, gratefully, I satisfied all my graduation requirements about a semester or so early. So I didn't have to attend that, that final semester. And it wasn't because I have a big brain. It was because I was big lazy. I, I, I just didn't want to do it anymore. So uh, I didn't attend that. And it, it happened to be a very positive thing for me. And the reason for that is because I was around a bunch of really bad dudes. I was around a bunch of really bad guys. And and that time away from them allowed me to focus on getting closer to the Lord. And it allowed me to separate myself from those bad influences that I had in my life. So I think this verse reminds us that we should narrow down. Are there bad, pe- bad influences in your life? Are there people around you that just probably you shouldn't be fellowshipping with? The Bible teaches that we ought to, you know, remove some of these individuals from our lives. Because, again, it can help. It, it can kind of force you to, to start thinking in a different manner. And these are the individuals that will, you know, bring the people into your life that will help you to grow and help you to encourage you and lift you up, just like we saw once again in Hebrews chapter 10. The next thing here is we need to control the tongue. And, and what we see all throughout the scriptures is, is what comes out of us is a lot of times what's here. What comes out of our mouths is a lot of time what's sitting on your heart. And um, Jesus says this in Mark chapter 7. 
He says this very clearly. He says in Mark chapter 7, starting at verse 20, what comes out of a person is what defiles him. From with, from, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, covet, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. I'm sure Jesus could have gone on and on. All these evil things come from within, and they defile a person. That's a, that's a really hefty list. That's a hefty, hefty list. Here's what the proverb says about this topic. It says, death and life, this is in 1821, death and life are in the power of the tongue, and those who love it will eat its fruits. Paul talks about this in Ephesians 4. James talks about this in, in his epistle in chapter 3. And, and even in the book of Proverbs, we see this several times. We won't go to these verses, but back in, you know, a few chapters back, Solomon says that bad speech is like a scorching fire. And that passage in James agrees with that. And we look here in the Proverbs and what we see from Paul and James, it is incredibly clear what we say matters. What we say matters. I came across a, a short list on this Christian counseling website. And, and how to control your tongue. And, and a few things that they mentioned here was, number one, dedicate your heart, mind, and tongue to the Lord daily. It kind of sounds silly if you think about it, you know, but how many of us pray about our thoughts and our, our, our voices each day? I'm guilty of not doing that, I'll tell you that much. Next one here is that we pray that God will give us an awareness and a consciousness of our words. Are the words that I'm speaking useful and uplifting to others. Next one here, which a lot of people in today's day and age will not like, is to surrender up your right to complain. Surrender your right to complain. Next one here is to ask for forgiveness for any unloving words or attitudes, and then here, speak words that are well, will encourage, comfort, edify, and inspire. Sounds like we're at a work seminar, doesn't it? Years ago, I, I worked at a resort, and we were kind of shifting our brand image to a more of a luxury brand. And one of the things we did is we went through this intense training. And, and our general manager at the time wanted us to have this mindset and this, this, this idea of, like, you're going to live luxury service daily, every day, and in every interaction. So one of the things he had us do was understand all the language all the body language, all of those things, and we had to practice that no matter who we were talking to, no matter where we were. So you see people in the laundry room, in the dish pit, back hallways, anywhere you are, and they're all trying to practice this language and these body language and these behaviors. So that way it became a habit. So he even encouraged us, like, when if you're going from your office to another office, go in the public area, where the guests are present versus the back area where you can lax on, on, on practicing these behaviors. And what it did is a lot of people did that. Of course, there were some who didn't. A lot of people did that, and it, and it started to build a habit within them instead of saying hi or hey or, you know, that's, that's the classic Southern California hello. Instead of doing all that, it was a good morning, good afternoon, good evening. Right, And it was you know, more of a, of a more focused attempt to make things a little bit more luxurious. And we need to do that with our speech. 
right? Speaking in a way that exhibits our love for God and his most treasured creation, which is you and I. So you may have noticed that, that none of these things we talked about was how we can change other people's minds and how you and I can change the way others think. It was all focused on you and I. It was focused on how you and I can relate to others and how you and I can relate to God because that's really where it starts. And I think that's the foundation, and it is foundational in foolproofing our relationships. So hopefully you've seen this morning that foolproofing my relationships begins with loving God and loving others. And, and because this sermon has been very, very heavy on application, I'm just going to leave you with one final thought, and it's this. Be intentional in all that you do. Be intentional in all that you do. When we intentionally put God first, we can have peace and rest even in those most difficult of times. And some of you are living that most difficult time now. When we intentionally put others before ourselves, we're showing them the love and respect that God desires for us to do. And in doing that, we also can honor God. And again, I'm going to put it out there one more time. I'm not an expert. I fail at this daily. I fail on this very, very, very much. Nor have I mastered anything and everything that we've talked about. I recognize that right here and now. But I'm confident that if you and I both begin working on these little things and work through some of these actions that we all talked about this morning and we do it in a way that's intentional because we want to honor God and honor others, I really believe that we'll begin to see some significant change and improvement in how we relate to others and in those relationships we already have. Will you join me in being more intentional? Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, I know this is uh, an interesting topic, and it's gotten me thinking a lot about even my own behaviors, and I, I recognize that, Father, and I acknowledge that before you and man. And, Father, I, I know that, that this is not an easy topic for some people because in, in our nature, God, it, it, it's contrary to all these things. And we recognize and we give you honor and praise, God, that we know that you, God, can make it possible to do these things. And it's really only through you that can make that a possibility for us. So we ask, God, that if there's anybody in this room viewing online who will watch this later uh, outside of this room and, and during this time that you have presented to us, if there's anybody struggling, Father, I just pray, God, that you speak to them now, that you speak to them now, that you allow that individual to focus their attention on you, focus their attention on others, and in that way, honoring you, and in that way, strengthening the relationships that you have put in our lives, and you've done that for a reason. So help us to strengthen those relationships and do so uh, and honor you in doing so. We ask that in Jesus' name. Amen.